Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome to our show. I'm Dr. Drayvon James, and this is Everyday Peace. Oh boy, I'm super excited to be here with you today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace, defined as wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality, As I'm saying that to you, I can feel my whole system decompressing and I'm just grounding myself. And I hope that you're able to do that as well. This is the Everyday Peace Show. And on this program, we talk about the philosophy of everyday peace as a system for us to achieve our next level of greatness. We also bring on fabulous guests and topics that highlight opportunities for us to laugh, for us to grow and for us to laugh. And so learn, grow, and laugh. You can't beat that. So um, on last week's show, we had an amazing show last week. We learned about feng shui with Patsy Balaki. If you missed that show, you missed some amazing opportunities. She talked about how to increase your love life and all sorts of things and how to do that with the placement of things in your home and in your office. So if you missed that show, please visit the Unity Online Radio Network or um Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, and subscribe to the Dr. Drayvon James Everyday Peace Podcast, and you'll be able to get all that fabulous information there. Our theme for 2022, as you are well aware, is it's time to improve my life. Every time I say that, I feel convicted And I feel like it's the most loving thing I can do for myself and for the planet and for people around me. When I improve my life, guess what happens? I do better and I'm, I'm of more service to other people and I help them to improve their life. Same thing with you. When you improve your life, it's not just for you. It's for the, it's for the planet, it's for the universe, it's for the people in your family, on your block, in your community, on your job. Improving your life is the most giving thing that you could ever do. And so what stops us? And this is our everyday peace moment. What stops us from taking this journey, jumping full uh, full speed ahead and improving our life? One of the number one things that I hear from my life co- coach clients and from my executive clients is fear. Fear. You know, there's so many things to be afraid of if we really think about it. There's an infinite number of things to be afraid of. But here's what I want to offer you today, that no matter what your fear is, no matter how big or small you think it is, there are only two positions to play when it comes to fear in your life. You can either serve fear or serve love. 
Choose love. Choose to love the people you're providing service for. Choose to love yourself. Choose to see love in everyone else. And I promise you that fear will start to diminish when you decide that, yeah, I'm a little afraid, but I'm choosing to serve in love. I'm choosing to see those that I'm serving with love. And I'm going to move full speed ahead in love. So that is our everyday peace uh, moment for today. Choose love. When it, when fear creeps up, choose love. We have a fabulous guest for us today. Dr. James Greenblatt is here today to talk about how to stop binge eating. I don't know about you, but this topic I'm so excited for today. I'm going to let Dr. Uh, James Greenblatt, come on to the show and introduce himself to us so we can jump into this fabulous hour of conversation. Dr. Greenblatt, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, good to be with you. Oh, it, this is an exciting topic. I'm sure that you get people from, who are sitting on the edge of their seats um, to hear about um, how to stop binging on so many different levels. And you know what you're talking about. You're the chief medical officer. So, um, give us your background and um, what what got you interested in this? Well, I'm, um, you know, a board certified child and adult psychiatrist. I've been practicing over 30 years. And about 20 years ago, I found myself... Um, you know, running an eating disorder center, and we have programs in um, three states and inpatient, residential, and outpatient programs. And, and one of the disorders that um, you know we treat, that's really underdiagnosed and undertreated, is binge eating disorder. So over the years, I developed a, a uh, expertise in, in helping individuals understand this disorder and find effective uh, tools for treating. Oh, I find this fascinating. So, so 20 years ago, you said you found yourself overseeing this program. So it was, it was that your, it sort of just fell in your lap or were you pursuing this opportunity to? to yeah, it was not a choice. You know, like many people in the mental health field, um, you know, we kind of shy away from eating disorders, both anorexia nervosa, the restricting eating and, and then binge eating. Um, so it's not a field that... Um, it's hard to find psychiatrists, so it was just um, again I found myself with a took over job as uh, chairman of the psychiatry for a community clinic that community hospital that had a program, and we just grew it from a small six bed program to you know three states and hundreds of patients a day that we take care of. Wow! Now I didn't know that it was hard to find a psychiatrist who um, specialized in eating disorders. Why is that? Well, I think part of it is um, psychiatry has become this symptomatic, um, you know, medication for everything. And, um, you know, we don't have medicines for anorexia nervosa. We don't have um, medicines uh, for binge eating disorder. Uh, we do have some effective treatment. So I think that's probably part of it. And, um, and I think there, it's challenging um, without those um, quick, simple tools. And uh, so we have... Um, really struggle to find good psychiatrists for the treatment of eating disorders. Oh, that makes perfectly good sense because, you know, if you can't couple it with something that, you know, you're working from both um, angles here and, and the medication definitely can supplement the process of psychiatry. Without that, I can understand how challenging it would be. So 
I think we need to start at the very beginning because I think a lot of us misuse the term binge eating and uh, but then we're talking about binge eating disorder. So maybe you could start off by just setting us straight. You know, there is binge eating. We've all done it sitting in front of the refrigerator with, you know, looking in there and everything that <laughs> I'll just talk about myself. Everything that has a carb or, you know, some sugar in it is fair game at some point, you know maybe rushing in from work and then afterwards you have this feeling like why did I do that so um when I think about binging I think about that you know that but then there is also a binge eating disorder so help us to understand both of those sure no I think it's a really good point because you know we use binge now the word on everything from tv watching to you know eating and and overeating um or, you know, the way we describe it now, you know, binging um, because you're either hungry or upset or because you have great food is different um, than binge eating disorder. So that is really an important point. So overeating for meal or binge eating um, is different than binge eating disorder. Binge eating disorder are those individuals that repeatedly you know, eat a large amount of food in a very short period of time. And it sounds very subjective, and, and in some ways it is, but, um, you know, over the years it's very easy to, to diagnose someone who has this uncontrollable, um, not only urge to eat, which hopefully we all have, but this inability to stop. Uh, people describe it as kind of a black hole, never feeling full, and... It's often very secretive. It's associated with a lot of shame and guilt. And it's associated with, um, you know, significant psychological, um, you know, consequences from that um, shame and guilt and that feeling of out of control on a, on a regular basis. So, yeah, and, and, and I didn't know it was done secret in secret, too. So that that makes sense, as with a lot of addictions are done uh, secretly, you know, so, so there's no the, the shame and the guilt associated with it. What what is the I guess the root cause of this? Like, Sure. And, and you use the word addiction. And I think that's important because a lot of individuals. Um, don't like to use that word, but but I do. And uh, we write about food addiction. We had a conference on food addiction. And um, I think it's really important that we can talk more about. But like any other addiction, I'm quite clear that the cause is uh, neurochemical. It's the body's inability to regulate, you know, hunger and, and fullness, hunger and satiety. And, and that is chemical. That's the chemistry of, of the, the gut and the brain talking to each other. So we feel full after you eat an adequate amount of full of food. So I believe there's a neurochemical basis to it, and the research is quite clear. Now, it might be stress that, that triggers it, and it might be emotional eating that, that starts it, but at some point there becomes a, a neurochemical process that appetite is just out of control. I use a roller coaster image on my book, and then it takes a biological intervention to get that under control. Wow! Let's talk a little. You mentioned you mentioned the book. Give us the title and where where our audience can find the book. 
Uh, sure. It's part of our series um, that we wrote on psychiatry redefined, helping people look at what's called an integrative medicine approach to psychiatric illness. And it's just called Integrative Medicine for Binge Eating, Comprehensive Guide to a New Hope Model, and uh, discusses the biology and then both nutritional and dietary and medications that can help this roller coaster ride of binge eating and food addiction. Wow! So you you said a lot. Thank you so much. And where 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 can our listening audience um, get the? Book? It's available on on Amazon, and our website is jamesgreenblattmd.com. Right. Integrative medicine from binge eating. That's when we're talking to Dr. Greenblatt today. We're talking about how to stop binge eating, which is um, and, and I, I I keep saying binge eating, but really today I, I think the book is more focused on binge eating disorders. Like we were talking about that in the very beginning, that people do you know come home after a long day. I know I've done it, and and sort of I I am hungry. But then there's a chocolate cake and then maybe there's a couple pieces of chicken, you know, or fried chicken, not healthy, uh, chicken, anything unhealthy there. Right. And it's sort of like melting away the stress of the day. And also because you're so hungry after the long commute. But it's almost at the end of that period where you do have this little like, oh, why did I do that? I, I could have gone for a walk or I could have made a cup of tea, you know, and so. But that's not necessarily a disorder. I mean, that's occasionally. But this binge um, eating disorder, as you mentioned, is neurochemical, which means that there's some imbalance there. And stress, is, yeah. if, I, if I understand you correctly, stress may trigger it. Stress may cause you to have your first episode or what have you. But if there's an imbalance, there's an imbalance. And here's, a, here's the part, as I'm listening to you talk, that sounds... Um, a little disheartening, I think, when we talk about addictions, because you never have to take a drink of alcohol. You never have to take any drugs. You know, you never have to get involved in illicit drugs. Right. But you're going to always have to eat. Right. Yeah. So you're always going to yeah. be exposed to this substance. Right. This is, you know, you're going to always it's almost like you have this. You have to eat to stay alive, but then you have this neurochemical imbalance. Or, or something going on there neurochemically that makes eating challenging for you. But it, but it's not all food, so it's really important to understand that, and that's why people argue you can't really have a food addiction because you have to eat. Well, nobody gets addicted to broccoli and, and lettuce or steak or, you know, food. Um, it's oftentimes some of the things we add to food that many people will say it's not food, you know, it's a processed food. So there are three components of food that often in vulnerable individuals, not everyone, that create this vicious cycle. And, and one is sugar. One is MSG, uh, monosodium glutamate, which um, you mentioned fried chicken, which is, you know, added to a lot of um, fast food now and then you know high fructose corn syrup which is also added to a lot of drinks so these are artificial chemicals if you will and that is what our brain sometimes craves and disrupts some of the neurochemistry you know steak broccoli chicken you know those things don't 
cause this imbalance. So it's not food, it's these components that we add to food. Oh, I think that's a very good point, and I hope that's liberating for a lot of us um, to know that, and thank you for that. That, And you're right. When you said that, I thought to myself, I bet you no one's going to binge eat broccoli. <laughs> Correct. Right? Not, not going to happen. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, so the sugar, MSG, high fructose corn syrup. And I think there's probably no surprise there because we hear about those things all of the time. Those are the big three. And uh, I guess I'm going to ask the obvious question, right? It seems like everything has sugar in it. Um, I know I do read labels and I try to avoid high fructose corn syrup um, as much as possible. But that's, yeah, everything seems to have that in there too. I mean, uh, is it? merely a matter of willpower of trying to you know i know these things are addictive but how does a person say okay i'm going to stay away from it you look at a thing a a bottle of ketchup there's um sugar or high um, fructose corn in there yeah no i think that um and and that's the 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 focus of our work and book is that no it's not a matter of willpower that's you know it's main um statement i I say throughout because again, if it's an addiction, uh, we have to change the chemistry, and and certainly, uh, reading labels can be helpful and minimizing the amount of refined sugar is great. But if this imbalance, you know, happens, then there are things that we would want to do, and it's not just those three. There are many, many other factors, including genetics. We all know people that can, you know, eat any of these foods and and not have binge eating. And, uh, and you know, we talk a lot about uh, nutrition, nutritional supplements, and, and medication. So, again, there's a subset of individuals that are feel so out of control around food, similar to the alcoholic, that we need to either provide very structured um, what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, medication, and nutritional coaching, and, you know, I call it the three, you know, legs of that stool, and you have to do all three to really uh, move on from the um, really kind of horrible feeling of being addicted to something that everyone else around you um, seems to be able to manage. Right, and uh, so, yeah, so I think you're right, because there are these substances. Some people will will you know partake in these things, the sugar, the MSG, the high fructose corn syrup, and they'll have a different level of sensitivity to it uh, than someone else. Someone may go full, you know, ham and, and just, you know, constantly I guess I don't know, what is that? Are are they blocking certain neural 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 transmitters in the brain? How what is what are these substances actually doing? Well, I mean, it's probably doing a bunch of uh, different things in the brain. You know, what they all do is kind of disrupt the appetite and the, um, you know, and the the fullness, um, satiety mechanisms. And, um, you know, they can be restored. And so it is, you know, dietary changes, although I never use the word diet. We have a chapter called the undiet. Um, So Mm -hmm. people don't have to kind of deprive themselves. But it's also, you know, nutritional deficiencies, and people talk a lot about dopamine, you know, that kind of reward chemical 
that goes off when the alcoholic has the drink or the individual addicted to certain foods eat those foods. So we're all kind of helping to regulate the nutritional deficiencies that are related to um, appetite control. So you mentioned something about the dopamine reward um, award uh, chemical. So h- how closely uh, correlated is this food addiction with something like an opiate addiction? We hear a lot about opiate addictions and you think about, you know, the reward sensors in the brain. How closely related are these two? Well, I mean, many of us believe they're very similar. We can put, you know, people, you know, in a, a brain scanner, and if um, some individuals are shown a chocolate shake, you know, the same areas of the brain light up for uh, someone with a alcohol problems, seeing alcohol or cocaine addict, seeing drugs of abuse. We know the mechanisms in the brain are similar, and that's why we need to treat it, you know, as, as an addiction. And, and the foods are usually the highly processed, you know, sugar, MSG, high fructose corn syrup, that kind of creates this vicious cycle. Mm, wow. I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the foods that are out there, going to a restaurant and, you know, our, our celebration, so much of what we do it is surrounded with food, right? Sad, happy, or glad. Uh, it seems to be food involved. And so much of that food, as you just mentioned, is uh, processed, uh, meaning that it contains sugar, possibly uh, MSG, and high fructose corn syrup. So it seems we talked about this cognitive um, behavior. What, like, what does that entail? Like, because... That's a big switch, isn't it? To to say that this event is not going to center around sugary um, celebration. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, some people have used the term emotional eating, um, you know, which I'm not sure I like, but there is um, the cognitive behavioral therapy helps people become more aware um, of their eating. And again, it's not enjoying dessert, it's not enjoying a celebration, a birthday cake, you know, it is those individuals that when everyone leaves might eat the entire cake and then can't stop. Um, So again, as you mentioned at the beginning, binge eating disorder is different than, you know, overeating or enjoying um, sweets. Uh, There's some individuals that feel um, so out of control that they might, you know, eat the birthday cake and then drive through three or four different fast food restaurants after they've already eaten. So again, it's, uh, the disorder is a very rapid consumption uh, of a large amount of food, and this is uh, just drives their behavior. So the cognitive behavioral therapy helps people become aware uh, that you know of the uh, behavior that around the eating. You know, wh- when do they? They binge. When do they go through the two drive-throughs? Is it when the the kids or the husband are, are doing X, Y, and Z, or is it under stress? And as you become more aware of eating habits, it becomes easier to change some of those habits. But again, my work is mainly focused on the neurobiology, so that's why the nutrition medications we do also use, as well as the cognitive behavioral therapy, is that kind of three legs of that healing stool to overcome binge eating. 
Yeah. And so we talked about, you know, these elements, the sugar, the MSG, the high fructose corn syrup, and how they can be detrimental, in fact, addictive components in, in a lot of the processed foods. So what are some nutrients that are critical for supporting, you know, a healthy diet, healthy digestion? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, our approach is, um, uh, you know, testing and it's it really individual, but one of the common deficiencies that most people don't think about is that we found with hundreds, if not thousands of cases, was a, a vitamin D deficiency. Um, you know, vitamin D is, you know, we think about it for absorbing calcium and bones, but it's also critical to make a neurotransmitter in the brain called serotonin. And, and serotonin uh, helps regulate appetite. And deficiencies of vitamin D is very common. Without adequate serotonin, individuals can't regulate appetite. And uh, just by repleting vitamin D, you know, it's the beginning of helping people um, restore optimal serotonin function. Now, that's fascinating. And I don't know how many of my listeners know this, but um, mostly I've read, and as a pharmacist for over 30 years, most people have a vitamin D deficiency, right? Absolutely. I mean, the estimates are 40, 50% of the, the population, um, more in, in kind of northern areas, and it, it's more common in, in dark skin individuals because it's harder to make vitamin D um, from the sun. So I think it's a quite clear epidemic. I mean, for millions of years, we made vitamin D from the sun, and now... We live and work indoors, and we have sunscreen if we go out. But nobody is getting vitamin D from the sun, so it's just in, added it to our orange juice and our milk, and most of the time it's not sufficient. Right, right, yes, yeah, it isn't sufficient. Um, and I guess, you know, trying to increase our time in the sun, you know, the, the work environment just really, you know, gone are the days of the simple 40-hour work week. Most people go in when it's still dark out and they come out when it's still dark out and, you know, it's gotten dark again. And so there is that limited exposure to that natural source of vitamin D. And, you know, here is, a, here is a, vitamin D deficiencies cause so much, um, you know, havoc in the body. But knowing that they decrease our serotonin levels, well, there is a depression in that too, right? So there's a number of things going on. Um, and, uh, and I'm hearing you say that it's an inability to get satiated. Is that what's happening with the decreased serotonin levels? You're eating and you're not able to feel satiated? Yeah, well, serotonin is one of the really important chemicals um, to regulate appetite. So without adequate serotonin, yeah, appetite just not regulated. So yeah, there's no sense of... Um, and so some of the supplements that we give people are uh, help to, uh, are the pro what we call the precursors to serotonin. So we're able to build more serotonin in the body, and, um, and that can help appetite. And there's research to support that. Oh, gosh. I hope our listeners are really getting this. This, this work that you're doing is fascinating, and it offers a lot of opportunity for uh, for healing, I'm going to say it that way, a lot of opportunity for healing. Of course, I'm hearing that the process is going to involve, it's not going to be something you're going to sit back and just let happen. So we're going to come back after our break. We're talking to Dr. Greenblatt, our, our, Dr. James Greenblatt, and our subject today is 
how to overcome eating disorders and uh, binge eating specifically binge eating disorders and and more after the break this is a fascinating topic and i'm excited to dig more into it Promoting positivity and inclusivity, you're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome back. This is Everyday Peace. I'm Dr. Drayvon James, and we're here today with Dr. James Greenblatt. We're discussing how to overcome binge eating disorders and, and, and perhaps a little bit about binge eating, too. We talked about that, but we're really, we're really getting into the binge eating disorder and it being a neurochemical uh, imbalance. And I love that you talked about vitamin um, D and how its impact on serotonin and how with low serotonin levels, we have um, our 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 appetite isn't regulated, so we could be very well be full and not and not know it, and keep eating and keep eating. And so you're providing your patients with vitamin D as one of a way one way to help support a healthy digestion, a healthy diet, a healthy eating um, regimen. We're not going to use the word diet, but what are some other nutrients that could be critical for supporting healthy digestion? Well, there's a whole, and, and again, vitamin D would not help somebody if they weren't deficient. So not everyone's deficient, So, but there are some individuals that are. And, you know, vitamin D is just one of many vitamins and minerals that are associated with uh, serotonin, that neurotransmitter. So vitamin B12 is also commonly deficient, and uh, some of the other B vitamins, and uh, some of the minerals, uh, magnesium and zinc. So we really look for nutritional deficiencies that might affect serotonin, and then we also give, you know, the uh, amino acid precursor, it's called, of 5-HTP, which mm. is a vitamin supplement that, that helps your body make serotonin. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm hearing here that, um, you know, while you're, well, it seems like a by product of having this uh, binge eating um, help to be in control, you're going to have a bit of improvement in mood as well because um, overall feeling of better, more well-being. Would you say that? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think some of the consequences of binge eating is that feeling, that low self-esteem and and depression that we see. And I think that... um, uh, one of the, the treatments uh, is antidepressant medications called uh, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So that does increase serotonin. It helps some individuals. There are other medicines, but yeah, part of the support um, that we look at is nutritional supplements that support um, serotonin. And we often find, like the vitamin D or B12 deficiencies, that can be treated. Ah, the B12s too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot. So I, I would assume there's a degree of, of blood testing that is associated with um, getting this uh, under control. And 
How can someone who is overweight and binges on thousands of calories a day um, still be mal malnutrition? Because we we hear yes, uh, malnourished, right? So you hear yeah, about great, this. Great. No, very important question. I, I think um, overnutrition and malnourished and malnourishment is a very common problem in uh, Western countries, um, and we see uh, obese individuals that are um, have micronutrient deficiencies. That is a major part of all the eating disorders we treat, binge eating in particular. Although you can have binge eating disorder, you know, the majority are overweight and some are obese and some are normal weight, but they are deficient in micronutrients because the food that they're eating are not nutrient dense. So they, that's where the B12 deficiencies or the uh, vitamin D deficiencies are common. So when you say they're not nutrient dense, you're talking about not, you know, not eating the rainbow, not the green leafy vegetables, the bright colored vegetables. Not, not that's not happening. Uh, correct. The foods, the processed foods, might not have, you know, the, the B vitamins certainly not going to have vitamin D. You know, our kind of concern or the increased incidence of vegetarian and veganism is also it can be a problem because it's not sufficient in vitamin B12. So some individuals, you know, develop nutritional deficiencies going on a diet for either health reasons or religious reasons, but uh, some individuals become nutrient deficient on um, a vegan diet. I have heard that a lot. And I think, you know, we probably would think if we look at someone who's on a vegan diet and they're, you know, uh, sort of, not all, and I, and I do not mean to stereotype because not all vegan people are, you know, smaller in stature. But a lot of times you think to yourself, well, maybe you need to eat something to get some, you know, extra protein or something of that nature. We're not really surprised when you hear malnourished. But when we hear that someone who's overweight is malnourished, we're like, well, what's going on there? And it sounds like it's just a lot of empty calories that they're not getting anything in there of substance to to nourish their body. Correct. Nourish their body and, and their mind. You know, the brain, you know, the, uh, is connected uh, to the body. So those nutritional deficiencies affect brain function and can affect um, appetite. Right. And, and I think you hit on something very, very important is that a, a lot of mood. Well, I won't say a lot. I'll let you <laughs> tell me whether there's a lot or, or not. But I believe in um, that mood sometimes and this feeling of being overwhelmed is associated with the fact that our diets are so poor and at least i'll talk about working in a hospital people are working you know very very long shifts and uh not nourishing themselves and when they are nourishing themselves they're nourishing them they're they're just feeding their hunger without actually feeding their cells and their brains and so they come back they've eaten they feel may feel satiated from and physically eating but they're not consuming food that could replenish them. And so you see these real bad dips in mood and patience and overall just a sense of not feeling and behaving well because they're just starving themselves, even though they're eating. They don't, they're not eating nutrient-dense meals. Yeah, no, we see that all the time. And, and it's, it's sad because, you know, it just sets up the cycle of, you know, shame and guilt because they, they try or they spend money on a, on a new diet 
and they continue just to go up and down this roller coaster, you know, with with just few people understanding the neurobiology and how to how to help, and it's it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. So people come to you and and they need this this type of help. What's the first step? Well, as we discussed, the first step for me is doing some blood tests to look at some of these nutritional deficiencies. The fact, uh, but probably before that, is making sure I do everything I can to relieve the guilt and the shame, make sure people know that it's not their fault. It's like any other medical illness. We can understand it and treat it. And um, and then we, um, you know, look at the nutritional deficiencies. If, if things are really severe, uh, we would use medications to help individuals as they, um, you know, get some support with cognitive behavioral therapy and, and nutrition. Right. And we talked about earlier that a lot of physicians, you know, sort of steer away from this line of work of expertise because there isn't a lot of medicine that supports uh, the the uh, recovery from eating disorders. But we've mentioned here that, you know, you've got some supplements. What medications do you have in place um, in the New Hope model for a binge eating disorder? Yeah, I mean, for anorexia nervosa, that spectrum in the eating disorder, there's no approved medicines. But for binge eating disorder, there is um, an approved medication, FDA-approved, called Vyvanse, which is a stimulant. And then we use other medicines um, that have been studied, and we've had good results. One's called Topamax, and the other is some of the antidepressants. Um, and uh, we can effectively eliminate this binge eating disorder with combination of the medicines, the therapy, and the nutritional support. Wow, that, now that's encouraging. And so, what? That that's very, very encouraging. That the combination of the support with the medication could reverse this process. And and what I'm hearing is that the medication does its part, but that that cognitive piece and and the therapy that will help you stay on the road. Now, is the medication something that the patient would be on long-term or is this getting to a place of healing and then they're gonna come off of the medication? Yeah, for, for binge eating disorder, I'd say most of the time that it's, it's relatively short-term, six months, nine months, um, and that provides both time to understand the, the therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy and also understand that they do have control over changing some of their dietary habits. So it's not long-term, it's not forever, but at least it provides uh, some relief and um, and supports uh, mostly self-esteem when people feel that they can control um, their eating, uh, they just feel better. Right, so having, regaining that sense of control, right? I think that's so important because, you know, their self-esteem goes up, they value themselves more, you know, their self-confidence goes up, they start to believe in themselves that this is actually something that they can do. Is there a component of, a, of group therapy with this? We talked about therapy a little bit, or is this just pretty much one-on-one -on -one with the um, psychiatrist? Uh, no, I mean, the group therapy is the model that we use you know, as our clinic, it? and it's very helpful. Um, but, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy can be done as a group or, or individually. These are just, um, you know, skills that people uh, incorporate, again, with medication and dietary changes. Right. So, yeah, because I was thinking that support from peers, too, is so very important, right? This, this, this idea of 
we mentioned earlier in the show that a lot of this binge eating is done in isolation, right, by the, by themselves. So that, you know, reintegrating and, and losing that part of self that isolates and it's associated with shame also is, I think, an important part of the healing process to realize that, you know, you're not alone in this and, and that there is. I'm glad to hear you say this, too, about the food, because I got to tell you that for years I had a neighbor of mine and he used to constantly say, I feel that they're putting something in the food that is really making people uh, uh, lack the ability to get full. And, you know, it was years and years ago before, you know, I knew much about a lot of um, the food components. And, and I was like, oh, no, we just have to have discipline. But, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. Sugar is addictive. Uh, people get addicted to it. And then there is this part, you know, where I believe it, it, it does, you know, we crave it. And then if you have these triggers, well, there you go. So I think that's great that you have the group therapy that allows people to come re-engage and re-engage and feel um to let go of that shame because shame has so many other negative um, implications in our life. So if nutritional re rebalancing can be so powerful to influence appetite, um, what about the psychotherapy and, and the lifestyle changes? Like, what are you looking for as far as diet hygiene? Well, you know, in the, in the world of eating disorders, particularly for binge eating, we try you know, not to use the word diet. We don't want to deprive somebody because that's um, never works. We know 98% of diets don't work. So that's why in the book we use the word undiet. The the only recommendation, big picture recommendation that I give is to kind of help parent, uh, patients think about um, lower carbohydrate diet. So that kind of umbrella term without any rules, but just being aware of... Um, uh, you know, carbohydrates versus protein and fat. And, and people will start being amazed of how much of their diet is carbohydrates. So for binge eating disorder, you know, we try to help people. Um, they, they just do better on a lower carbohydrate diet. And that right there, too, I want to say, you know, people have said that, and, and you probably believe this, too, and I know I should. If you eat protein, it will fill you up. And you'll feel full, you know, if you have protein. But I tell you, there's something about carbohydrates, which is very satiating, I guess. Like, it makes you feel full. It's challenging, at least I've found it in my own life, um, challenging to come off of carbs, right? Well, it, it's because of um, that kind of carbohydrate addiction, absolutely. It's very challenging and oftentimes um you know, it takes some uh, working with a dietitian to, to support that transition. It um, doesn't mean eliminating carbohydrates, just being uh, sensitive to what the refined sugars, uh, how they affect you, um, whether you're pre-diabetic and or have food addiction, they, they are important components. Yeah, d definitely, definitely. Tell, give us the name of the book again and where we're gonna find the book in your website. Yes, uh, James Greenblatt, MD, my name, com, and the book is called Integrative Medicine for Binge Eating, and it goes through, um, you know, we call it the Hunuho model, a, a kind of biological approach, looking at supplements, looking at food addiction to help individuals um, control uh, hunger and satiety. Yeah, so this is a great, great discussion. And even for our listening audience members who, who, who are not at the binge eating disorder, but 
binge eating is still an issue. It's still a problem. It's still something that can negatively impact our health. What are some steps that someone struggling with either binge eating disorder or just binge eating could take right now? After listening to this program, say, hey, I, I, was on, I listened to Dr. Greenblatt. I'm going to start doing this now. I mean, well, just, one is again. Just about make a sure you kind of, I'm sorry. So we have just about a minute left. Um, do we have about a minute? No, I'm sorry. I'm too. I'm. I'm looking at the wrong clock again. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, what what are some things that people can do right now? Say, I'm in my home. I, you know, I want to get started. Um, what, well, I think uh, understand reading enough about it and understanding that you, you can't blame yourself. So um, that's not your fault and that there's a biology to it. And then understanding, you know, um, how to uh, transition and understand a, a lower carb uh, diet. And that could be a very slow process, but just becoming aware of sugar and carbs, and then making sure your doctor checks for vitamin D deficiency and vitamin B12 deficiency, two very common nutritional deficiencies we see in those with binge eating disorder. Now, are there any telltale signs that you have a vitamin D deficiency or a vitamin B12? If you're just like, oh, I think, you know, are there any telltale signs that you may notice in your, in your, on your own? And no, that, and that's why you you know you can't um, you know a- anything related to serotonin deficiency um, and vitamin D has so many effects on the body. So there's no way on a physical exam a doctor could tell, and there's no way that you can tell. It's really testing is the only way, and that's why it's so important that our doctors test for vitamin D. Yeah, that that I can't emphasize that enough because there is an overwhelming number of people who are suffering from a vitamin B deficiency, and um, without those blood tests, we're not gonna know. And without those blood tests and the corrective measures to to improve that vitamin D, we're gonna be like almost in a loop. You know, you're doing things and you're not seeing the results that you want, but um, because the serotonin is still low or a number of other things. What about probiotics? I hear a lot about that um, in today's media. Any, any, do they play any part in the um, healing process from this? Yeah, I mean, I've actually given a number of lectures about how the gut affects, you know, hunger and appetite. And we see uh, the, the, the microbiome, the bacteria in the gut is, looks very different for those with, um, anorexia nervosa, those with obesity, and um, and we're understanding a bit about binge eating disorder. So uh, they're still doing the research and the science is um, really fascinating, but absolutely the gut um, uh, likely affects the food we crave. And, and some people have been able to demonstrate that certain bacteria are, uh, people who crave chocolates have different bacteria in their gut than those that don't. So it's a, it's a fascinating science. Wow, I would have never thought that. Well, and so and you can alter these um, gut bacteria. You can alter this with probiotics. Yeah, you can change. And uh, we don't, you know, know exactly in terms of binge eating the best ones to take. But the research is fascinating, looking at different, um, you know, microbiomes in terms of helping uh, uh, understand how the gut changes with different food cravings. Wow. 
Yeah. And so and under, I think understanding this, I hear so much news about to take a, pro, a probiotic, not to take a probiotic. But I, I, what I hear you saying is overall, it, it may not be a bad thing to get on one. Um, you know, in the worst case scenario, you could you know clean, clean up your gut a little bit and um, get some, I guess, relief. And maybe change, maybe change what you're craving a little bit because I'm, you know, I, I got this picture in my mind. We talk about, you know, the sugar and the MSG and the uh, high fructose corn syrup. I got this little cartoon running around in my head right now about these, you know, running around within the body and blocking up different, you know, uh, neurotransmitter spots. And so that you only are craving more of this, you're not even craving healthy food. Or you know your body's rejecting healthy food, and you have this. You're in this vicious cycle of craving food that is not nourishing you. It's almost too. As I'm thinking about, it, and I just said that, I'm thinking about the impact on our brain function, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we call the gut our second brain because we have all the neurotransmitters, serotonin, and, and in the gut, and the gut communicates with the brain. The brain communicates with the gut. So it has profound uh, effects on our uh, appetite and and our mental health in general. Yeah, and so we're talking about the mental health, the the brain effect, and we mentioned earlier that one you know uh, neurotrans neurochemical disorder for sure, but there are some you know people who it, maybe the trigger is stress. What are some ways that people could deal with stress, or what is you know binge eating stress or pre-binge eating stress that would help minimize the likelihood of going into a full binge? Like, well, again, part of the therapy is, is being aware of, um, uh, you know, the uh, emotions uh, around the eating. So uh, awareness is really important. Mindfulness practices have been incredibly helpful be it yoga, meditation, or, or just, um, you know, understanding mindfulness, which can be done even while you're busy, uh, while you're walking. So it's really just a, a, a state of, of uh, awareness that has uh, really significant implications for relieving stress. The state of being self-aware, which so many of us... Um either consciously or subconsciously reject, right? We we want we don't want to look at things straight on because we think we won't survive them. I, that's my theory anyway. Even though we are constantly surviving them, we're developing these little escape, uh, escape paths that sometimes lead us down the wrong path, areas that we don't want to go into. Instead of just, you know, you know saying and knowing not more more so knowing than saying but knowing that we are safe we really are safe and this too will pass and that's why i love the idea of you know you talked about the group therapy is when you're in group with other people you do realize that uh, our lives are interconnected our problems are sort of we're we're having similar life experiences Right. We're not alone. You know, we're not being picked on by the world or what have you. We're really just all of us trying to do the best that we can. And I think collectively, the more of us get together and kind of know that and work through that process together, the more successful. And as you mentioned, um, with the combination of the medication, the cognitive therapy, all of these things can help improve your outcomes. So what kind of outcomes are you seeing as far as um 
patients being able to recover from do you do you call it going into remission is that that, is that the correct term yeah or or even you know a cure i mean i believe binge eating disorder is 100 percent treatable again focusing on these three you know medicine if it's needed nutritional support um as well as the cognitive behavioral therapy i mean it's one of the you know disorders that i believe everybody can be treated and and recovery is is you know appropriate and Wow, that's that's really really encouraging because I'm think and we didn't say this uh, in the beginning of the show, but when someone's binge eating, approximately how many calories are they taking in 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 a setting? You mentioned they're driving from one fast food restaurant to another, but how many calories are usually consumed during a session of binging? And you know it varies, but it can be thousands of calories at at, at one time. I mean, they're just you know it's not part of the criteria. It's it's this rapid consumption of food. Um, you know, eating more than ex- expected or uh, usual. So for, for some, you know, it's a thousand calories. For others, it's thousands of calories. It really varies on 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 many factors. So you're really not looking at how many calories. You're looking at this rapid consumption of food, as we mentioned, the isolation, uh, that that kind of thing. Almost, and I've I've heard this. We didn't necessarily say this here, but I've heard it's almost like a blackout experience. I know that. Sometimes when I'm standing in front of the refrigerator, I feel like, oh gosh, I could have stopped a while ago and didn't. But um, just this yeah, whole- absolutely, and that's the addiction, you know, part of this that never gets talked about, um, and people again just feel ashamed that they can't control themselves. Um, and we've been, we've begun, we've been more tolerant, understanding that substance abuse is, is addiction, and we need to treat it as a medical illness. But, you know, food addiction is not always looked at that way. People just look and say, oh, you know, for an anorexic, you just eat. And for someone who might be overweight or binge eating, then, you know, they can control it. And it's just not accurate. Right. And I think what we're doing here, too, thank you so much for bringing that up, is the awareness of this. is This is a disorder. We've been talking to Dr. James Greenblatt, how to overcome binge eating. This is the Everyday Peace Show with Dr. Drayvon James. I'm excited to bring these topics to you. The, the book is Integrative Medicine for Binge Eating. You can find it on Amazon. And as always, thank you for being an everyday peacemaker. It is, this is the season. This is your season to improve your life if you have not joined the leaders in high heels free facebook group do so today we'd love to have you thanks again and make it make it peaceful Everyday Peace with Dr. Trayvon James. You have the power right now, today, to make the decisions, to take the actions that lead you to your next level of greatness. And I would love to walk with you on your journey. Here's some ways we can connect. Schedule a coaching session. Contact me at info at drdravonjames.com. Enroll in my online university course, the 2020 Clarity Course. 
at the Institute for Leadership and Lifelong Learning International. Enroll in the Brilliant Life nine-week online coaching session with me and Keisha Dixon at info at drdravonjames.com. Purchase my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, from Amazon. Thank you for being an everyday peacemaker. I absolutely love you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.